You're tuned in to the biggest balls of them all. That's right. Playing with Balls podcast. We got sports and comedy for that ass. You about to go downtown, bitch, on the only podcast that sports platinum and brunette chicks. That's right. Playing with Balls podcast, you dig? Welcome, everybody, to the Playing With Balls podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Lee, and I am coming at you today from Swedesboro, New Jersey. I am back east visiting family over the holidays. I grew up uh, not that far from here, actually, just down the road in a town called Woodbury, a suburb of Philadelphia. And so it's been nice and extremely cold. It is literally 19 degrees out. And uh, it's funny because coming back east, my family um, always sees me suffer when it's super cold. And they're like, you know, you're soft now since you moved to the West Coast. You're thin skinned. And by the way, I moved to the West Coast 12 years ago, so this is like kind of getting old at this point. But what I try to explain to them is I haven't lost my edge, you guys, but my blood has scientifically thinned. it's, It's a fact. When you move from a colder climate to a warmer climate and then you go back to the cold climate, your blood thins. So, yes, you're right. I have thinner blood and I am a lot colder than you guys are because I'm not used to this. But it doesn't mean that I'm any different as a person. Okay, so just get off my back. But other than that, um, I've had a birthday this week. That was exciting. Um, got some gifts. We unfortunately don't have Callie the Bulldog here because she cannot fly on a plane. Apparently, even though she's 60 pounds and acts like a diva, um, TSA does not consider her a person. So she can't come with me ever. Um, but So she's snoring somewhere peacefully in West Hollywood right now. And uh, so she's not going to be here to to interview our guest that we have on today, who I'm super excited um, to bring on for you guys. Uh, Nate Boyer, he is uh, a former long snapper for the Seattle Seahawks, and he has such an amazing story. He served six years in the U.S. Army, and he went on multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so after that, he was you know close to 30 years old. He played uh, college football as a walk-on at the University of Texas. But the coolest thing about that is, um, outside of, you know, his age and some of the things that he had done before that and being a walk-on for such a prestigious program, he had never played football prior to that. And I think he's the second NFL player that we've had on this podcast that has one of those cool stories. The other one was a few episodes ago, Bryant McKinney, who I went to high school with when we had him on the podcast. He ended up, I mean, if you heard that guy's story, and if you haven't, you should listen to that episode. Bryant had never played football before his senior year of high school, ends up uh, becoming a pro bowler for the Vikings and wins a Super Bowl with the Ravens. So pretty lucky to have another NFL player on here that has a similar story in terms of kind of beating the odds um, and just, you know, having the passion and the mindset to go forward and to accomplish his goals. Um, even when people told him that he couldn't. So beyond that, he ended up being drafted by the Seahawks. So that's an amazing story. And then more recently, if you've heard Nate Boyer's name in the news, it may be because of multiple um, you know, interviews he's given. He's been on ESPN and all the sports uh, channels a bunch, but mostly because he actually played the most integral role in this whole kneeling versus sitting versus standing thing. Because as we all know, Kaepernick started the movement um, of kneeling, but he actually started off by sitting. And Nate was, you know, obviously as a veteran, um, somewhat concerned, uh, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but these are other uh, interviews that he's given, you know, uh, with this seemingly anti-patriotic act. So he actually um, influenced Kaepernick to go from sitting to kneeling. So for any P- 
people that, you know, don't understand the movement or feel that this was misconstrued or it, it you know, misconstrued in their minds. You got to listen to this story because he's going to set the record straight and talk about it and then also talk a little bit more. Hopefully we'll get into some things with how he feels it's, catap- you know, with with this movement um, today and this year and how it's catapulted sort of into something a little bit different even than it was when Kaepernick, Kaepernick first started it, you know, with Trump getting involved and everybody is just doing their own thing and, and that whole sort of thing. So I'm super excited to have him. He's got a super inspirational and motivating story. So please stay tuned here for Nate Boyer as I dial him in. So we've got Nate Boyer joining the podcast. I think I have him on the line here. Nate? Yep, I'm here. Hi, Nate. Thank you so much for joining the Playing With Balls podcast. It's great to have you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. And happy holidays. Same to you. I think you said you're you're in the Bay Area right now. Is that right? Yeah, I am. I grew up out here uh, in the East Bay, and my, uh, my folks are still out here. My brother lives over in uh, San Francisco, and my sister's up in Santa Rosa, so... Pretty much all my immediate family is out here with their uh, significant others, and uh, but I'm I'm normally down in Los Angeles, but I'm up here for the for the holiday week holiday season, I should say. Gotcha. No, I love that area. I actually lived in Carmel by the sea for about seven years before oh, I moved. Oh, that's a terrible place. I know. <laughs> that's what everybody <laughs> says, except the, the the only issue was the median age. I brought it down a lot, but it was uh, it was a little bit of an older community. But it yeah, did get me up sense. to the Bay a lot, so I definitely appreciate the San Francisco Bay area. I miss it. Yeah. Oh, that's down. That's Clint Eastwood's hood, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, I lived there after he was the mayor, so I never he never was officially the mayor when I was there, but he did own half the town, so um, right. a, a lot of the establishments were still um clint haunts i guess but i actually never met him i i that was the one thing that annoyed me about living everybody else did but i i'd like see the back of his head and that was it you know um but uh yeah so it was a it was a neat place to live but yeah it uh i do have a funny football story from there i had i got yelled at by john madden because he ended up retiring there um, and I, all I could think of was like the, the voice it's like, it was like James Earl Jones, like the voice of God, because, um, my dog had an accident on the side, on the sidewalk. And that's how I learned that he lived there. So, um, it was pretty funny. It was like this very interesting town of, um, older people <laughs> that, right. uh, and affluent people that retire there. But anyways, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, moving down to Los Angeles and you said you're based there too. Now you, uh, did you move there after, um, you retired with the Seahawks? Yeah. So I, I, I moved down to San Diego, uh, when I was like 18 years old and then up to LA when I was 19 uh, before 9-11 happened and before I ended up joining the military and doing all that. So uh, when I came back there, uh, yeah, I came back there after the Seahawks. Uh, I hadn't lived there in years, but it was sort of like kind of like a homecoming of sorts. Right. That's very cool. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about um, serving in the Army, because I believe you were uh, maybe six years before you um, went to University of Texas. Is that right? Yeah, I was uh, six years on active duty, and then actually when I went to University of Texas, 
uh, I transitioned into the Texas National Guard. So I served four more years while I was in school and actually deployed a couple of times. Oh, wow. Uh, while, while I was playing football, yeah. So you have an interesting story with um, with football because you, um, as I understand, you walked on to University of Texas pro- uh, football program, but you hadn't ever played before? That's right. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up, you know, playing a lot of different sports and huge sports fan and football was always my favorite. Uh, but for for various reasons, I just I just never played growing up, and it was like a huge regret of mine not doing that. So even though I was twenty nine a twenty nine year old freshman, um, you know, after serving as a as a Green Beret and just having that feeling like I could I could do anything, um, you know, after some of the stuff we overcame over there, I just felt like not only was it's something that was possible, but it was sort of my duty to now go chase my American dreams and, you know, honor some of the, the men and women who, who may never get to uh, that served alongside me. So that was part of the reason I went back and gave it a shot and it, and it ended up working out. That's amazing. So so how did you know um, that you were good at football since you had never played before? I mean, how did you how did you sort of get to that point? Well, I'm not necessarily good. <laughs> I just work really hard. <laughs> So you're one um, of those people that like didn't just walk into the classroom and ace the test. You really had to study. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, that's what people. I think a lot of times people confuse that. Not just with me, with 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 others that are successful. They're just like, oh man, like, you know, that guy's good at everything or whatever. Not the case at all. Like I <laughs> always start out terrible at everything, and I'm actually a slow learner. Um, but I, I just. If it's something I'm passionate about, I just, you know, I, I decide to make some sacrifices in my life to, to go after that, whatever dream that is. And then I just keep plugging away at it. And I like trust the, like they say, trust the process. But right. like, I, I, I just, I understand that there's going to be a period of like growth where you're just not going to be good, you know, and you have to be okay with that and understand like there's going to be those growing pains. And if people are, uh, you know, people might be teasing you or laughing at you or like thinking, what are you doing? You know, those are all those people who aren't willing to sacrifice and work like you are. So don't worry about them. Right. Just keep plugging away, uh, improve a little bit every day and don't give up on it. And if, if it's really what you want to do, if it's not something you're actually passionate about, and you're just you know, doing it because you think you should, then that's going to show through with your lack of commitment to it. But if it's something you're really passionate about, like why would you not spend every uh, free minute uh, pursuing that if you love doing it and it's something that you know you want to get good at and then that's sort of what I applied to to football and, and it just uh, you know I probably spent more time on that in college than I did in the classroom which maybe is <laughs> ill-advised but it has served me well uh, moving forward no I and I love that you talk about that I talk so a lot on the podcast we talk about walking into the light beam right it's like those days when you wake up and you feel completely um, motivated and you believe in yourself and you know not everybody has that every single day and it's and it's something that we talk about because a lot of the people that we have on the podcast have those types of stories that I think are very motivating to people because not everybody is living their dream or, or working towards their passion you know and I think it takes a really really strong mentality and and you don't and you have to build that because you have to go through some things and overcome some adversity right and so for you how how did how did you did you always have that mentality even from the time you were a little kid or or did your different shaping experiences like your background in the army did that really shape that for you 
Yeah, I certainly didn't always have it. I, I was always a dreamer. I always had the dreams, you know, and these um, lofty, lofty goals and, and, and uh, aspirations that a lot of people would consider to be crazy and, you know, impossible to achieve. Right. I always had that, but I didn't always work for it. I didn't know how to. And and then that's what they remain, just dreams when, when you don't, uh, you know, when you don't know how to apply work ethic to it. So it wasn't until really, uh, you know, the first the first thing I did that was like not only out of my comfort zone, something I was passionate about, but like I committed to it and uh, uh, completed it was going going to the Darfur on this, uh, uh, you know, to the refugee camps over right. there and, and working as a as an aid worker essentially back in 2004 when this was like the height of the genocide in, in the Sudan and. Um, and there just wasn't people doing that that didn't, that weren't like doctors or people that were you know, already working with some of these aid organizations. Right. And I just sort of made this decision. Now this was something that didn't take a lot of practice or work ethic, but it just took a lot of, uh, <laughs> balls, you know, yeah. talking about playing with balls, yeah. but it, and that's what it, that's what it took. It took like, okay, I'm just going to go, I'm going to figure it out when I get there, I'm going to find a way. And, you know, I, I, I flew over there. I was in, I was 20, just turned, I guess I was 23 years old and kind of lost back here in the States. Just not really sure what I was into, what my purpose was. Didn't have all those things we just talked about. Right. Didn't know how to work. And I just said, I'm going to go over there as a servant in some way and, um, and, you know, help these people. I don't know what I'm going to do, but. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be available. I'm going to be, you know, I'll help build the camps, dig ditches, play with the kids, assist in the medical centers, whatever it takes. And I got told by all these aid organizations that I couldn't go because I didn't have a college degree and I didn't have all these, you know, any special skills. And it was just like, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to fly myself over there. I don't understand why you don't want me to go or why you won't, why you won't, you know, right. Let me help. And it was just like a matter of red tape or whatever, I guess. And, but I just did it. I just committed to it. I said, no, I'm going. And I just bought a plane ticket and I figured it out. I showed up over there and I BS my way out to the camps and worked for a couple of months. And it like completely changed my life because I had committed to something. I made a decision, uh, something that was a challenge that not a lot of people were not only willing to do, but probably could do. Uh, and I made it happen. And once I had that little victory, um, I you know, felt more confident that I could do these things. And then uh, that led to my choice to join the military and my experience over there wanted me, I wanted to fight for, for people like that, for those that can't fight for themselves. And, and I wanted to be a green beret cause it was, you know, the most elite uh, unit in the army and they work alongside indigenous forces wherever they go. And even though that was a huge challenge, it was like, I was so passionate about it. And I was like, you know what? Thousands and thousands have done this and before, you know, and, and they're probably not that different than me. They're, they're also human beings with faults and weaknesses. Right. Uh, but they just didn't, they just didn't quit, you know, and I just, and I took that mentality into it. And, and during basic training, I was in terrible shape and, you know, that all, <laughs> those, uh, uh, those weaknesses were highlighted. Absolutely. <laughs> but I became stronger and tougher and I just stuck it out and kept working. And then eventually, you know, uh, that, uh, became a reality. And, and after achieving that, you know, be, earning that green beret i really did and i still feel like i could do anything now is is mil i have to ask you is military is training for the military um 
sort of like how they portray it in movies and on TV where they scream at you and you have to do all these like silly things if if you're not if you don't if you can't do it as fast or as hard as everybody else is that is that there is there some reality to how to how that training is there is except you know montages last months yeah not 30 seconds yeah. so uh but yeah no there's a lot of that i mean that's and a lot of that's early on no matter what course you're going through whether it's basic training or whether it's you know selection in the special forces or whatever um and it, a lot of it i think is to just see if you can handle that you know right. can you handle somebody in your because people are sensitive you know? yeah. uh we, we live in a sensitive time unfortunately i'm not just talking about you know Right now, quote unquote, quote unquote snowflakes, snowflakes on the liberal side of things. People yeah, yeah, on yeah. the conservative side of things are extremely sensitive too. Uh, everyone's just hypersensitive to you know we we can't we we can dish it out but we can't take it. Right. And that's all about like can you take it? Can you can you stand there, somebody in your face, you know, demeaning you, um, or you know, just breaking you down basically. Right. Uh, and, and not always fight back you know and not and just take just take it you know it's just it's just uh a lot of times it's just words you know what i mean yeah and can you handle that are you that mentally tough to handle that it's not about being physically strong it's about being mentally uh mentally strong and if you can't if you can't handle the truth as (laughs) they say uh you know and and still push forward uh with a smile on your face and uh you know, and, and, and kind of get past that, then you're probably not the right man for the job. I mean, I don't want somebody fighting alongside me um, that's watching my back in a gunfight uh, that is sensitive. It's weak. No, that makes sense. I can't do it. No, no, you're not, you know, and that makes sense. And, you know, now that I think about it, we should probably have everybody in the whole country just go through a little bit of military training. Just like that should become a, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad idea, right? Toughen people up a little bit because people are very, very, you can't do anything. You can't say anything. And, and, and that's actually, I think, one of the greatest things about being a comedian. I think I'm like the last left standing, like uh, the comedians, because we can, for the, not well, to some degree, but in, in terms of being able to still say things, because that's right. sort of our job. <laughs> so thank right. God for that, you know? Yeah. But you still have to yeah. watch it. People still get very sensitive, but you just don't get in as much trouble when you're a comedian and you say things yeah. that are politically no, incorrect. Right. You know? You're right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting time. I mean, we, we just, uh, I think we're, I think we're really entitled <laughs> in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you grew up rich necessarily or anything like that, but just everything we do have here, um, is not like that at all in much of the world. Right. And we don't understand that, you know, I mean, we may not like the way things are going or who's in office or all these things, but we still have total freedom, uh, which is, which is pretty awesome, you know, it is. and, uh, the ability to go, chase your dream i mean that american dream idea is like an international thing uh but there's not that many places you actually get to pursue it and um yeah we just you know people that's just human nature though i mean we love to bitch Mm -hmm. we find stuff to bitch about no matter how good our situation is Uh, i do it too i mean we all people in the military we get back home and it's like it's so nice here and everything's so accessible you just get you take things for granted without even realizing it and uh you you know you, you if you find stuff to pick apart and, and complain about. Um, but we, yeah, we do need to, we need to get back to getting tougher. And I think that starts with, you know, getting off our handheld devices all the time. 
Oh, yeah. No, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, and there was a study done about how much uh, how much more people have ADD now or something like that because of there's too much like meant stimulation going on. And it's it's like you can't you know, nobody can focus because you've got a thousand things going on on your phone. And I think to your point, it's just like anything else. You're right. It's, you know, we've never had to experience what it feels like to not have our freedom in this country. And then also, you know, even like you said, you know, you, you being in different environments caused you to really appreciate what we do have. But as soon as you acclimate to the environment too, and that then becomes your norm, it's easy to not have those same deep level that honeymoon stage of like gratitude every day. I can imagine like when you came back, you know, like it's like that you feel so grateful for what we have, but then you start to acclimate and, you know, and and those feelings, they, they dissipate, but that's normal because like you said, it's human nature, but you still have them. And that's what maybe makes your story different than other people's story because you have that perspective that, you know, that other people don't have. I mean, I still remember coming home, um, my first after my first deployment and coming back and I was in Iraq and I didn't see a blade of green grass for, you know, nine or 10 months. Right. And then coming back and getting off the, uh, we got off the, the airplane on straight onto a bus. And then we, you know, we bust onto the, you know, back to our base. And I'm like, we're like busting. And this is in, uh, I guess it was in what month of the year was this? I guess it was like in January, but there was still like green grass. I mean, this is in Colorado Springs. It was like green grass everywhere. I just remember how green the grass was. And it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Wow. You know, it was like I was in Ireland in the spring or something. Wow. I, I wasn't. And it was just like, you know, so like, wow, this is like the most beautiful place in the world. It's just so amazing. And like just thinking of, you know, what it would feel like to be, a, you know, a, a, a refugee or just anybody that moves from a place like that after living there their whole life in a, you know, oppressed uh, situation. Right. Um, to, to then seeing this and feeling this and how grateful, you know, people are, um, to, to get here, you know, right. and, uh, and then you, and then you just get comfortable yeah. <laughs> and then you forget, you know, it just, it happens. You can't help it, but you just have to try to remember it and continue to, to, to serve in some way and do stuff for other people and, you know, right. To, but I also think it, it gives you that perspective. And, and like you said, because of those experiences, you know, you ended up doing some, you know, getting back to the story about you walking on to UT's program and having that confidence to do it. Like, why would I not try this? You know, without those experiences, you wouldn't have you may not have done that, you know, that that's where your life sure. sort of led you. So I want to hear about how did you get to University of Texas, especially, you know, after six years, you know, what was that experience or, or what caused you to go there? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think back to when I was like 14 and I, I was like I said, I was playing other sports and, you know, I was decent. I wasn't, I was never like a great, great athlete. You know, I was never, I didn't have any college scholarship offers for any sports or anything like that. But I remember being like 14 and I'm, I'm going to, I'm about to go to high school and I'm like, all right, you know, I should play football now. And then psyching myself out and thinking that, you know, these kids, other kids have been, some of them have been playing since they're eight years old, but like they're going to have a leg up on me. I'll never catch up. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not strong enough, whatever. All these stupid things we feed ourselves. Right. There's limitations we put on ourselves. And, and I didn't play because of that, you know, because mm-hmm. of that fear of what, I guess, what, what looking stupid or what other people think. Right. And, and then I, you know, moving forward 10 years or sorry, 15 years to when I'm coming off of active duty 
and I'm thinking about going back to college and um, and thinking about trying to play football just because I was like, you know what, I'll just try try out for the team wherever I end up going. And I was thinking of going to a small school. And one of my good friends, uh, Brad uh, Keys, who one of my best friends, who's he's, he he passed away in 2012, unfortunately, but this was back in 2010, and he was uh, he was on my team and. We were over in Iraq, and we were talking about it, and uh, I was saying I was thinking about going to a small college and trying to play football, and he was like, hell no, if you go back, you got to go to a big school. <laughs> you got to go play at a big program because, um, you know, look what you've accomplished so far. Like, you, you know, you're a Green Beret. Look like, where you're at right now. Right. You, know, you, can't, you can't go back and not not be elite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to drive you nuts. So... I just made the decision to do that, and, and I chose Texas uh, for a lot of reasons. First of all, Texas is a very, um, you know, that state, uh, those people are, are very good to their veterans. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that people in California are bad to their veterans, it's just they go the extra mile. In, in a Traditionally, place like that. yeah, they're yeah, they're a great state for that. Exactly, and, and and Austin was such a fun, Austin's the most, it's the greatest city in America, it's such a fun <laughs> place, and it's a great mix of you know, all the, all the cowboys smoke pot and all the hippies carry guns. <laughs> and I, music. I, I love that. I love that mix. You know, yeah. I, I learned that from a taxi driver my first day in Austin. <laughs> I love that totally saying. Sure. I love that yeah. saying. I've only been there once, but I would say that pretty much capital, that, that is a great definition for what Austin is. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's, it's, I mean, it's got the arts. It's also the capital of Texas. It's like this, it's a crazy mix. But, and uh, football is, then, is God in Texas as well, especially uh, at, at University everything. of Texas. <laughs> yes, it is everything. You know, we, uh, yeah, we go nuts for that stuff down there. And, uh, and it was just, I don't know, it was just a perfect situation to go give it a shot, you know. And, and, and Mac Brown was the head coach at the time, and he let me try out for the team, even though, I mean, he didn't know I hadn't played before, but even though I was older and coming off the military, and, you know, that team's, everybody on that team's talented, very talented. Right. And, uh, I just outworked everybody, you know, every conditioning drill and, and in the weight room. And, and eventually they just let me, they let me be on the team, on the scout team, um, for that first year. And, and, you know, so I'm basically a tackling dummy at practice and, um, halfway through my sophomore year, uh, right before the season's starting, you know, I decided to, decided to pick up long snapping and start to try to find a way on the field. And, uh, I spent you know, months working on it every day, just snapping a hundred balls. And I was terrible for about two of those months. <laughs> and I went over, I was still in the, in the national guard. Like I was saying, I went overseas that summer, um, uh, on deployment. And I was, I brought a couple footballs with me and just snapped every free moment I had and came back and ended up winning the starting job, um, that year. And, uh, I started for three straight seasons for, for Texas and, you know, played 38 straight games and, you know, I ended up playing in an all-star game and all this stuff. And it was like, it's not the, you know, sexiest position on the field, but I found a way to be a starting football player at the University of Texas um, just because of the, the the work ethic and applying that. And it was at one of the most elite programs in history, you know, so. Yeah, and it um, doesn't sound like the sexy possible. position was your goal. It was, it, it's, uh, your goal was to get on the field and figure it out and you and you achieved that which I think is an amazing story and you had to feel good you know in front of that crowd when you figured out your way to get figured out the way to get yourself on the field and then you're on the field playing regularly and then you're just in front of that that Texas crowd that huge um football fan base like that must have been just an amazing feeling yeah it is I mean it's pretty euphoric when you're out there it's 
there's 101,000 people in the stands and uh, it's uh, it's it's wild you know but uh, for me it was just it was finding a thankless job that nobody wanted to do <laughs> kind of like uh, you know some of the stuff you do in the military and, yeah um, you know just putting yourself out there that- and you know no one wants to do be a long snapper because they, they get zero praise until they make a mistake and then everybody's you know on their case about it um and, well, and so that's it's not a very fun position to be in sometimes but uh, well you're changing me, the game like for that one you're, you're giving it some recognition so that's good you've given it yeah, some recognition <laughs> no that's amazing and and um, I, I want to, so then from there you, um, ended up, uh, as in the professional football league, did you never think that was going to happen or did, had you thought you met your goal? Like, at, you know, when you, you did what you did at UT and, and said, if that's all it is, then that's fine. Or did you say, no, I'm going to make it into the NFL. Like, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as a kid, of course we had those dreams. I was a big 49er fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up, I grew up out in the Bay area and of course, you know, I, I had those dreams as a kid, but once I was at the college level, I mean, I realized how incredibly challenging that is to just to not only make it at that level, but then the next level is like the top, you know, one percent of that level. Right. And uh, so I didn't really, I, you know, I wasn't really a goal necessarily when I was playing. But then I, I got to play in that All Star game um, down in Charleston my senior year, and some of the there's a bunch of NFL scouts there, and a lot of them were like, you, you know, you need to put on about 30 pounds, but you should, uh, you should give it a shot, you know, and it, it was just funny. I just turned 34 and, uh, which would make me the oldest rookie in NFL yeah. history. And, uh, I just was like, you know what, why, why, why the hell not? Like the worst that's going to happen is nobody signs me. And then I just move on with my life. Right. Know? So, um, so I started to train for that and I put all that weight on and, and then the, you know, the draft rolls around and, the last day of the draft is when they start signing free agents and the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, the GM, uh, gave me a call and just, you know, said they wanted to sign me and give me a shot, which was pretty amazing. Oh my God. What was that feeling like for you? I mean, were you just completely shocked? Yeah. I mean, going into that day, I had no idea. I mean, I talked to some teams and, and had an idea that maybe I would get a tryout like during rookie mini camp. But right. I didn't think I would be signed as a free agent, which means, you know, you're officially a part of the team, um, at least through the, you know, until the preseason and stuff. Right. And, uh, yeah, it, I, it was, uh, it was pretty unreal. I mean, I just remember, I remember getting that phone call and like talking to Pete, which is so funny. Cause like, you know, Pete Carroll and Mac Brown and USC and Texas, like this, rivalry you know yeah and, uh, <laughs> I didn't even think about I that totally, I was totally cool with it you know and it was just and it was a perfect situation I mean I had to, I had to make a decision at the time it was between the Seahawks and another team uh that wasn't you know the Seahawks had been to back-to-back Super Bowls and it was like the other team was like I mean it was NFL team but it, it just wasn't the same challenge right and I like couldn't help but just gravitate towards that you know it just made the most sense and uh Seattle's such a great, it's a military town and it's just, uh, uh, such a, it was just, it was the team, it was the best team in the NFL, you know? Yeah. And I just had to go that way and, and just, yeah, to, to talk to them on the phone and, you know, hear that they wanted me to come out and I was, I mean, I was going to be there a week later. I just was so excited, you know, so pumped up for that opportunity. That's pretty cool. No, that's so cool. And, and, uh, and so what, what was one of your favorite memories or experiences when you, we played for the Seahawks? If you can um, 
pinpoint the greatest it. was probably i mean I, you know going through grinding through training camp and everything was awesome i was there for about five months through the off season in the otas and everything but i mean i got to play in a i got to play in one game and uh and not only that they asked me to just like i did in college they asked me to lead the team out of the tunnel uh, with the american flag and uh and then just being on the sidelines you know during the anthem and warming up before the game next to peyton manning we played the broncos wow. and it was his last year you know and he ended up they ended up winning the super bowl that year like all those things were just incredible i mean playing in the game was great you know right. i i did i played the whole second half and i did i did awesome but you know it wasn't that was like the least almost the least memorable of the whole experience you know just remembering uh all my all my buddies who weren't there to share that moment with me right. and, but also like uh, just getting to that point you know it's almost like reaching the summit um of a mountain right for me and uh just enjoying it you know the fact that i got to enjoy it a lot of people don't enjoy that moment because uh, you don't know how long it's going to last and I, and I got to enjoy it and that's that's something that is really special to me or they black out during a moment like that i know special moment if that were me i would be i would just have blacked out and not remembered it so at least you remembered it <laughs> just from excitement and all the feeling all the feels you know and right. and speaking of the anthem, um, that was a you threw me a ball there. So that was a good one. Speaking of playing with balls, um, I uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, it's very interesting. Um, you were you you had had a conversation with Kaepernick um, it, during that time when he was sitting and starting sort of that movement uh, during the national anthem, and then you had sort of. Um, talked him or com- had him compromise if, if, if it, correct me if I'm wrong, into kneeling. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, this whole, our, our country was already on the verge of imploding. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like during that election cycle and it's like everybody split into these two groups, you know, one left, left and right. And, uh, just a lot of hate being spewed all over the place and nobody listened to, listening to each other and, considering each other's significant um, uh, backgrounds and experiences as being valid, you know, if they, if they haven't experienced that, there's just, there was no perspective. Right. Like we talked about earlier and, and no listening going on. And, and uh, you know, I was hurt by him sitting during the anthem. I still, anybody that doesn't stand with like pride, it like bothers me. It's not like I feel good. I'm not like, I'm like, yeah, protest, you know? Right. But, uh, but at the same time, like I, if somebody's hurting, like I want to try to alleviate the pain and make them feel as if they count and that I'm listening and I want to do something to improve our situation in our country. And so he was sitting at the time I, I got reached out to by a bunch of publications to write like an op-ed about it, which I think they basically wanted me to talk about why I thought he should stand, you know. Right. And instead I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'll just write an open letter to him explaining my experiences and why uh, it's important to me, but also that I'm willing to listen and be open-minded to somebody else's perspective. And, and through that letter, I mean, that's, it's it sort of, first of all, it, it was pretty, it was published in the army times, which nobody reads. <laughs> and, uh, and it went viral anyway, because I think people were starved for that, like middle ground, right. you know, to, to listen to a, a reasonable, um, perspective on the whole thing and and Colin himself reached out and wanted to meet and so you know he hit me up and he was playing they were playing the Chargers the next night down in uh San Diego for the last preseason game and it's like military appreciation night it's you know it's September 1st so it's just a few days you know days before 9-11 
Um, and it was like a big deal and yeah. he was going to sit again, you know? And, uh, so I, I came down to San Diego from LA and I sat down with him in the lobby of the team hotel, you know, just a few hours before kickoff. And we sat, we talked for like two hours about our, our experiences, you know, what was going on in our country and, uh, everything, you know, and he expressed that he was, this isn't about, not only is this not about military, he's like, I appreciate a lot of the police officers that, you know, do it the right way and, and all this stuff. And I thought that was important for him to recognize that, right? you know, and to not say this is, you're not generalizing here. You know, it's important because he, he'd worn things and said things before that, that, uh, sort of painted that picture. And, uh, so through that conversation, you know, he agreed to, to demonstrate in a different way, you know, and, and we, we talked about different options and, um, you know, kneeling was one of the things that came up and I thought kneeling was more respectful than sitting. First of all, kneeling alongside his teammates. Right. Um, and I gave him all the reasons for that and, and he ended up doing that. You know, he said, uh, I will do that. You know, and he said, and he asked me to stand alongside him that night during the game. So well, the anthem played that night, I stood next to Colin the uh, first time he took a knee, uh, with, you know, and I had my hand on my heart and just like I always, but showing that I'm willing to listen to somebody that, you know, feels a little bit differently. Right. And that yeah, was pretty powerful. I mean, that kind of took off the whole kneeling thing. And, um, you know, and now Colin's getting all these, uh, man of the year awards and I don't get anything. I'm on a <laughs> podcast with you. <laughs> hey, well, listen, a lot, thousands of people listen to this podcast. Okay. So okay, you, okay, good. yeah, yeah. It's, it might not be GQ. It's a little bit more grassroots. I'm going to be the playing with balls, man of the year. Cool. <laughs> you are. Yeah, you are. And we vote at the end of the year. So I feel like you're, you're going to be up there for sure. <laughs> now, now, now it is interesting though, man of the year, but then also but his you know career in in the national football league has been cut short uh do you is it do you think it's as a result of that solely or that that hurt his career in the end no, i don't think it's solely that uh, i think it definitely contributes but i i don't think it's this collusion thing that a lot of people are are, are talking about and leaning to personally right. i think it's just strictly a business decision <laughs> yeah by these owners i mean for them, there's a lot of people, a lot of people in our country that disagree with it, that think it's disrespectful, and they're going to continue to think that, and they have every right to believe that uh, as well, you know, and just because, you know, Colin can say over and over that it's not about this, it's not about that, it doesn't mean he gets to decide how people perceive it. Like, right. You don't get that, you don't get to make that choice. Right. And when you're doing that, you're sacrificing, uh, you're, you know, you're making a huge sacrifice and you're making a, a statement. Um, but you're also risking quite a bit and you have to understand that. I mean, that's just, that's the reality. And, uh, I think what he's doing is much more important than playing football anyway. Um, so why, you know, I look at it this way. I think those owners for the most part are like, uh, and this is definitely debatable, but for the most part, like, look, if, 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 if signing Colin as a backup quarterback, first of all, he's, he's not a starting quarterback right now. Right. Um, he has the talent for it, for sure. I mean, he went to the Super Bowl, but right now he's a backup quarterback. By signing Colin, am I willing to risk dividing my fan base or you know losing half of my clients uh, because I, I signed somebody that they think should not be doing what he's doing? Right. Um, and that's a valid point. I mean, he could be looked at as a liability for sure. That I mean, that he is. You know, it's it's business. They're, they're in the business of making money, selling season tickets, all these things. Right. And, it's a risk there, you know, and I've had lots of coaches and GMs and um, 
front office folks talk to me about all this. And I'm not, I don't ever say, yeah, don't do a bad move. I just, you know, I talked to him about the whole situation. Talked about what, you know, they asked me about what Colin is like as a person. And it's always very positive uh, because I think he's, you know, he's not a bad person. He's just not. Um, And of course people argue that up and down too, but, uh, but not a lot of people know him personally. I just explained to him about, you know, what I know in the situation. And then, you know, they make their own decision about that. It's not, uh, it's just, they're weighing the pros and cons. And for somebody, a backup quarterback is supposed to be on the sideline relatively, uh, you know, quiet in the sense of like, you know, they're holding a clipboard and they're, um, sending in signals and they're, you know, always being positive and supportive and they kind of stay out of the limelight. And that's not really where he's at right now. And it's not a bad thing, but that's just, the reality right no and and you know it's it's interesting too um and i want to hear your thoughts on how this is how this kneeling how the kneeling movement has catapulted into something maybe else or different this year with just the president getting involved and um jerry jones and some others within you know that are that, that were vocal about um, their thoughts about it, and then it, it seemed to cause more people to kneel, and now coaches are kneeling, and so it seems to have almost turned into something a little bit different, not necessarily ba- in a bad way, but then you know what, what Kaepernick started, like the, the movement. Like, what are your thoughts about what's going on now? Uh, I mean, a lot of that I think is misplaced. Uh, I, I don't when you're kneeling to uh, protest. President Trump's comments that has nothing to do with what Colin was originally right. doing, and it's sort of you know it's getting off the rails there, and you're you're taking away from the message by doing that. And you know, a lot of those coaches, are, I mean, the coaches were only kneeling alongside their team, like it was like a thing where they would take a knee right before the anthem and then stand. It was like all these different. It was just getting all over the place. It was like the star-bellied sneeches, uh, <laughs> Dr. Seuss story, you know? Yeah. It was like, it, it just was getting really confusing, you know? And, and there was a player for the Steelers who uh, was an Army Ranger for four years and had three deployments to uh, to Afghanistan. And, you know, he's standing during the anthem when the rest of the team was in the tunnel. And it's like he's counter-protesting by standing for the anthem. Right. It was just was like yeah. getting getting out of control. And that's and that's okay. And and that when that's happening, that's really you know that's really out. Of, it means everything's really out of whack. And the only one thing that I would say that I, you know, I I think is positive about it, even though it gets away from the point, just for fe- just for like what happens in the future, is maybe it did it does create over time some sort of unity. Um, where in yeah. a time when, when you, you know, you were talking about this earlier, when everyone's hating on each other, when everyone disagrees, when every, you know, that maybe the, uh, you know, just such a lack of bipartisanship overall. Um, and maybe it creates a unity and, and that's, that's not, it's not for a great reason, but I, that's the one thing that I say, you know? Yeah. Well, what the Seahawks have been doing since last season, since before all this, you know, the stuff this year, since last year they made a decision as a team to interlock arms and all stand together on the sideline. Yeah. I like interlocking that. arms and bowing their head sort of in um, recognition of, you know, some of the injustices, social injustices that do occur in our country, but that's still standing, you know? And I thought that was, that was cool. Cause it was a, a sign of unity. But I mean, at the same time, like I said earlier, there's gotta be a recognition and understanding that as bad as things may be socially in our country it is 
so much better than most of the world. And, you know, when people talk about oppression nowadays, it's very different than the oppression in the past in this country, which was disgusting and awful. And there's still racism, but there's racism everywhere in the world. Everywhere. Right. You can't get away from it. Right. And the fact that we have all this free speech and uh, freedom of expression and, and all these things is an important thing, you know, and, and to continue to fight for equality and stuff like that is valid, is important. Right. Um, but also understanding and recognizing that this country um, is very unique and special and is the greatest country in the world. Um, and and what what hurts a lot of people and makes it hard is that that's when you're when you're doing it during uh, the recognition of the country, you know, the flag, the colors. The reason we started playing the Star Spangled Banner at sporting events was to honor the military. That's the reason it began. Of course. So, like, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, and that's that's important to to understand if you're going to to do that. You should know the whole history of everything, and uh, and realize that too. So it's like a, it's a double-edged sword, man. It's a it's a tough one. Well, it's but like that's why it's a that's why it's an issue. No, and I think you articulated that really well. And you are definitely man of the year in playing with balls book. So how about that? And I and I think it is it is seek first to understand, then be understood. And that's if everybody just right. lived by that mantra, then I think that a lot of those things that you're talking about would go would disappear because it's a lack of understanding, it's a lack of education, and it's not a problem that can be solved overnight. But it's certainly a movement that you were an integral part of. And I think people. And if it's at all misconstrued, it's it's just because it's a, a lack of understanding at the end of the right. day. Now, I want to be respectful of your time and appreciate your insights on that. So as we uh, near the end of this segment, I wanted we ask I ask every guest um, if you have like a baller story and a baller. Our guests know what a ball or excuse me, our listeners are familiar with the baller story. But it's uh, just to reiterate a story about, you know, just a cool like moment in your life where sports played a role. A lot of times it'll be something that sort of emotionally connects you to sports or or any anything that that you can think of that it's sort of that baller moment for you so nate do you have yeah. a, a baller story for us well i mentioned brad earlier uh you know my one of my best friends right quite my best friend on, on my special forces team that um and passed away in 2012 so he, he passed on uh, december 13 2012 and um just a just a little over a week later we were playing uh oregon state in the alamo bowl down in San Antonio. And so, you know, we're going through bowl practices. I talked to Brad on December 12th, you know, December 13th that evening, I get a call that he had passed uh, from one of the other guys on our team. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was during like this super tragic training accident. You know, he survived all these deployments and then this happens. And, uh, so I, I, his wife reached out to me and asked if I would be one of the pallbearers at his funeral. And so, uh, I went out to, to North Carolina to, to carry his casket, you know, and and then I, I fly back out to San Antonio to meet up with the team uh, just a few days before the game. And Coach Brown, Mac Brown, you know, said, hey, look, we're going to dedicate the game to Brad. Uh, we're going to send game balls to his wife and his kid when they when they win the game, when we win the game. And, uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. So just you know, hang with us and. I thought that was really special. And so we go out there and for three quarters, we played terrible and we're, mm -hmm. we're like, you know, we're losing 27 to 10, I think. And all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, you know, I'm starting to feel a little down and I think everybody was. And 
uh, all of a sudden we just started to turn it around and come back and the team like something you know something happened i don't know what happened but the, the momentum shifted and all of a sudden our defense is like sacking the quarterback on every play and we had a couple you know real real long touchdowns to marquise goodwin and was killing it for the 49ers now mm-hmm. and uh you know we came back and in the last series uh, we scored to go up 31 27 and then on the last uh the last possession for oregon state we sacked the quarterback four straight plays and wow. won the game as time ran out um so it was really that yeah, was like really special i mean i still get chills like thinking about it now because it was like this almost this hopeless moment and you know it was a week after i'd lost one of my best friends and and then we just i don't you know i don't know if it's uh it, it, you know it, you'd love to think that brad had a hand in that from, yeah. from heaven or whatever you want to call it but um either way it was just a special it was a special moment to get that down and to be able to come back and win in that manner um yeah it, it it meant a lot to me and so that was always my that's always my favorite you know victory i mean it's the alamo bowl it wasn't the national championship game but it felt like so much more than that to me and so i know that's not as crazy and sexy uh, of a baller story as you may <laughs> want but uh it's my baller story well hey you know what being a long snapper is not that sexy either but we'll take it okay <laughs> okay but no, that no that that story gave me chills. Wow, I I um <clears throat> I definitely think under those types of conditions, you know, um, all you you know, if you don't win, it it, it it's just it's a bigger loss in in, in your mind, you know. Yeah. So 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 and and you had something greater to play for. No, thank you for that. That was a great story, and and, and overall, your story is very inspirational, and and that's a big part of uh, the types of guests we we seek to have on the podcast. I say we. I'm I'm talking. Uh, I guess in third person, uh, me and uh, my second co-host is a bulldog. She's not here today. She snorts in the background, but she also she also is going to be very inspired by this tale when she hears it. And I really appreciate you taking the time over Christmas break to tell us your story. And um, I uh, I want to make sure people follow you if they're not already. So your uh, what are your uh, social media handles? Is it just at Nate Boyer? Yeah, at Nate Boyer thirty seven. College football number, so yeah, at Nate Boyer thirty seven. At Nate Boyer thirty seven on Twitter, Instagram, and you probably have like a Facebook fan page. Is that right? I do. Okay, great. And um, so those are the places people can find you and see what you're up to. Yep, that's it. Okay, great. I, I also have a website. I got a website, uh, nateboyer.com. Um, you know, and you can kind of you can reach out to me for various reasons through that as well. Oh, and I meant to ask you too. You also are uh, the co-founder of MVP. I'm so sorry I forgot to bring that up. It's all right. Is yeah, that- yeah. Merging vets and players. It's uh, I co-founded it with Jay Glazer, who's a Fox Sports personality. Yeah. And, um, basically, what we're doing is we're bringing together uh, combat veterans and former professional athletes um, to help them find purpose once the uniform comes off. You know, moving forward with their lives. So. Uh, vetsandplayers.org is the website there and uh, you can see some of the some of the awesome stuff we're, we've been doing uh, you know, all over the country really in the last couple of years I love that vetsandplayers.org well everybody be sure to uh, to visit that site as well as to follow Nate on social medias and thanks again Nate for joining us really appreciate your time thank you All right. pleasure